Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, uh, hopefully you're there. Acts 13, uh, 1, 1 through 3. I remember uh, over a, a decade ago, Steph and I sitting down to dinner uh, with our friends, uh, Casey and Steph Cease, to talk and to dream about church planting in Magnolia, Texas. Uh, at the time, uh, Casey, his, his wife's name was also Stephanie. Casey and Steph, they had their daughter, Braylon. Braylon was four, she was four or five years old, and uh, Steph was very pregnant with Luke, uh, with, with Titus. Luke and Levi, our twins at the time, they were, they were two. And so as as we, were, as we were planning and dreaming and eating at Casey and Steph's home, at one point, Steph and I, we, we look over and we see sweet, sweet Braylon, uh, the, the, the Cease's little girl, you know, just sitting quietly at the table, eating her dinner like she's supposed to. And, and then we, we look and we see Luke and Levi not at the table, not at the table, Food like spaghetti all over their face, uh, all over their their clothes. Like at one point, I, I think they were finger painting on the curtains, the Caesar's curtains with spaghetti. Uh, and I and I just there was kind of this collective. Uh, we we look over at Casey and Steph and like I'm just, I'm sorry. Like I don't I don't know I don't know what is happening. Um, four boys later. I can tell you this, <laughs> Steph and I can both tell you that, that God designed uh, little, like little boys, little dudes to move. Amen? We got any like boy moms up, up, up in the, yeah, amen, <laughs> right? Here, here's, here's the thing, <laughs> um, church, in the same way, God has designed His church to be on the move, Amen? God has designed His church to be on the move. We are, we are made for mission. And so even in all of this talk about restoration, searching for a building and seeking God's will for a, a permanent home, we, we, know, we know this. The, the church is most effective when it leaves the building with a, with a burning desire to share Jesus with others. Amen? We were made to leave the building, not stay in it. And so the context, let me, let me, let me break down a little context. Acts 13 really starts, it begins where Acts 11 left off. So Acts 12, you kind of had this segue away from Antioch. Acts 13 brings us back to Antioch. And from here on out in Acts, the focus of, of, of the book, of, of Luke's book, it, it, it shifts. It, it really shifts to this, this missionary movement to the nations, to the Gentiles. And so again, 
Acts 1.8 is unfolding. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and so, so we get into the, the, the very beginning of this first missionary journey of, of Barnabas and Saul. Saul, who would very soon be, be, go by Paul. But as we dip our toes just a little bit into Acts 13, here, here's the question. Christian, if you, if you are made for mission, are you on mission right now? If you, are, if you are made for mission, are you on mission right now? Is your, is your faith characterized by apathy or is your faith characterized by action? Is your faith right now, is it characterized by comfort or, uh, or, or by a gospel conviction that, that moves you toward others to share Jesus? And so we're going we're gonna to just break down a, a verse at a time. But as we look at verse 1, here, here's the first point this morning. God's glory shines in a diverse church. Amen? God's glory shines in a diverse church. I want you to look at your neighbor and say diverse church. <laughs> look at your other neighbor and say diverse church. Look at verse 1. It says this. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, I know, I know what some of you may already be thinking. J, JB, how, how in the world did you get diversity out of Acts 13.1? It is a, is a list of names. Um, absolutely true. But when you give more than just a cursory glance to the names of these teachers and prophets, you get a fuller picture of this mission mobilizing movement that was starting in Antioch. Last week, last week I said that the pinnacle of God's glory is found in His grace. The pinnacle of God's glory is found in His grace. Church fam, God's grace God's grace is no more evident than in a multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic, multicultural uh, setting where, where God's people are appropriating the gospel to their relationships and giving each other, giving one another undeserved favor despite the differences. Amen? See, there, there are those in the culture today who would like to suggest that, that like Christianity uh, is, is the, like the white man's religion, that it's somehow this like European religion, which is totally fine if you don't read the Bible. Uh, it's fine. Just don't open, don't, don't open the Bible. Um, Restoration fam, we've already, we've already learned about the rich diversity of the Antioch church but but look look at their leaders Barnabas we've already encountered Barnabas Barnabas was a hellenistic greek speaking jew from Cyprus Simeon 
Simeon was a black man from North Africa. And though, though we can't say with certainty, there are many, many who believe this Simeon and Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus are the same dude. Same guy. Lucius, probably not Dr. Luke, probably not the author of Acts, but Lucius was from, from Cyrene as well. He was from North Africa. He was a black man. Menaean, listen, Menaean, many, most believe that he was brought up in the household of King Herod. Uh, the same Herod Antipas who be, beheaded John the Baptist. The same Herod who, who tried Jesus. And so Menaean, he came up in great privilege, in great wealth. R.C. Sproul says that Menaean was Herod's half-brother. And oh, oh, the irony that one brother was ultimately responsible for the crucifixion of Christ while the other, years later, was preaching Christ crucified and raised from the same household. Wow. Wow. And then to round out the list, you have the Jewish Pharisee of all Pharisee, former Pharisees, the, the Saul, Paul from Tarsus. Kent Hughes says this, this was the church staff at Antioch, right? Amen? Like, this was the church staff. Kent Hughes says it was a racially integrated group of go-getters. They were a microcosm of the church, what the church would become in the world. And this was no accident, Hughes says. Rather, it was a deliberate work of God. Amen? So check this out. The church didn't become diverse to show their unity, they were already unified around the gospel. Amen? Like, for, they didn't like sit around one day, man, like, you know, we need to, uh, we need to get some, some white people and brown and yellow and black. Like, we, we need to get all people together to show everybody that we're unified. No, no, no. Like, they were unified around Jesus from the jump. From, we see this in Acts 13. They knew, they understood that Christ alone breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. And, and, and so I, I see, and it's nothing new, it's been uh, around for a long, long time, but the, I see where the, the ecumenical movement, which the heart is right, but at times it's like we want to bring people together and we want to bring denominations together and, and even at times different faiths together. I, I remember uh, having a conversation with a buddy of mine, Brandon, years ago, who had gone on one of these like ecumenical weekend retreat getaways and they get out in the woods and they unplug and no cell phones and all these things and they worship and they have small groups and but he told me he told me that as they met in small groups with other men conversation began to bog down when when he began to talk exclusively about Jesus when he began to talk about uh, Jesus is the only way to the Father and how our works can't really merit salvation before God. And, and, he, and he was kind of shushed and like, hey, like we don't really want to go that direction with conversation. So it's like we want to come together around like under the umbrella of a, of a generic Jesus. We just don't we just don't want to say anything specifically about Jesus. 
And I and I like I'm I'm not I'm not down with that. And of course we want unity, but but understand this. Um, Restoration Church Brian's Lane is is gospel clarity. Amen. Like that that's the lane that we want to run in. And we we believe that the biblical gospel is enough to to drive, it's powerful enough to drive unity and diversity. And the reason I say that is it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible from the very beginning. The very first missionary movement that was launched was launched from a diverse church. One other thing that's important to understand, up until now, the church's mission was, uh, it, let's just say it was less than tactical, right? <laughs> it's like persecution would, would start up and they're like, hey, let's leave, right? Like, Let's go over here. Um, so God, God used persecution as His instrument to, get, uh, to catapult uh, the people, the church, out of Jerusalem into Samaria. And, and then you had the, the Holy Spirit would intervene in the lives of individuals. We see this with Philip. We see this with Peter where there's like a vision. And apparently Peter, it had to happen three times before Peter began to get it. Um, to move the church toward non-Jews but it isn't until Acts 13 that you see a planned, strategic missions mobilization. And so, what, is, what, is this, what does this mean? Right? What, like, what, is, what is the application? I, I want to be, be careful how I say this next piece. Listen, homogenous churches are, are not necessarily in, in, in sin. They, they are... They are absolutely the, the body of Christ. They, they can be making disciples. They can be on mission. They can be agents of reconciliation in the world. But, but when, a, when a community is diverse, right? And when, and when the local churches of that community are diverse, diverse churches don't just share the vertical reconciliation that they have in Christ, they show the horizontal reconciliation that they have in Christ. Amen? They show it. Church fam, like, there, there is a beautiful gospel messiness to a diverse local church. <laughs> See, it, it can't be primarily about your, your preferences. It, it can't be primarily about your politics or your ideologies or your, your cultural customs or, or your traditions because in a, in a diverse church, you, you're going you're gonna to have the whole gamut. And, and though, uh, again, we've said this before, we see the distinctions and we don't ignore the distinctions. Our, our primary identity is redeemed from our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like, that is our primary identity is redeemed by the blood of Christ. Every single one of us. I don't care who you are. And, and so for, for so long, I, I think, and rightly so, our, our gospel presentations have entailed trying to convince people why Jesus reconciles them with God. Right, rightly so. 
But the reality is this, if the church was a living demonstration of reconciliation between people, the world might actually believe in the person and work of Jesus. Amen? Because only Jesus can break down that wall and only Jesus can ultimately change people at the heart level. Only Jesus can change the sinful hearts of men and women. Second thing this morning, as we look at verse 2, I love this. God's, God's mission springs from worship. God's mission springs from worship. Uh, this, this little, might, we might get, have, have to get in sync here, but I want you to look at your neighbor and say, mission springs from worship. That was actually, that was solid. Look at your other neighbor and say, mission springs from worship. Look at verse 2. It says this, while they, were, while they were worshiping the Lord, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That, that, that word in the Greek, worshiping, is letargeo. It's where we get our, our English word liturgy. It just means to serve, to perform religious duties. Uh, Howard Marshall says the verb worshiping means serving God. And in a, it's a Greek word originally used of doing public service at one's own expense. It's vital that, that we get a hold of, of the meat of, of verse 2. See, God... God was at work in the church at Antioch. We've already seen this in Acts chapter 11. God, God was at work. The church was reaching people for Jesus. All right, they, they were seeing people come to know and follow Jesus. They, they were using their spiritual gifts in the local church. They were giving generously of their finances to meet needs. They were teaching the Word of God and making disciples. But no doubt, I, I believe that these leaders, these leaders mentioned in verse 1, they were anticipating something. They, they knew that God was up to something. They knew that, that uh, God was about to launch a new mission and they didn't want to just sit still. They didn't just sit still and wait. They, they came together for worship. They, they came together to, to fast so that they might better discern God's will. And, and more, more than one author, more than one Christian author has referred to this spiritual discipline, this habit, as, as, as something called active passivity. Active passivity. It's the idea that while you are seeking to hear from God, while you're seeking to hear from God, you walk in faithfulness to what He's already called you to do. Amen? While you're seeking to hear from God, you, you walk in faithfulness to what He's called you to do. And see, the, the context and the focus on the leaders is on the leaders of the church and them hearing from the Lord. But ultimately, I, I believe the entire congregation came together. We see this in verse 3. I think the entire congregation came together uh, to commission them to, for the mission. But don't miss it. The very first missionary journey was born from a worship service. Amen? 
The very first missionary journey was born from a worship service. Among other things, here, here's what that means. Here, here's the application. If, you're, if your worship isn't leading you to mission, your worship is hollow. And you might, you might just be worshiping an emotional experience, but not the Lord Jesus. See, see, a Jesus of your own making allows you to keep worshiping without repenting of sin. A Jesus of your own making allows you to keep worshiping without, without aligning your life to the Bible. And a Jesus of your own making will allow you to make worship like an end in and of itself instead of the means towards driving gospel urgency as you move toward others. So know this, Christian, when, when, when Jesus is magnified, His mission will be amplified. When Jesus is magnified, man, you better believe His mission is going to be amplified. When, when, I was a, when I was a youth minister get, getting started, my, my first six months on the job, I, uh, I disbanded the youth praise team. There was, there was, uh, it was like a group of teenagers, and, and like six months in, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're done here. Uh, I disbanded the, the teenage worship team, and it was a very popular decision. Um, it was not popular. Um, but, but listen, these guys, they, they had their own band name. Um, they, they had their own t-shirts. Uh, they had CDs that they were selling in our, in our youth room. I'm like, guys, there's like passages about this in the Bible, okay? They had merch, right? I think they had a few groupies. I mean, mostly like eighth grade girls in the youth group. Um, and like, I wasn't even serving at a mega church, right? Like, it's like a church of a few hundred people. Um, these students, they, they loved music. They loved getting up and leading worship. They just didn't love Jesus. <laughs> and they... And they didn't have a, they, they weren't burdened. They weren't burdened for their lost friends who didn't know the love of Jesus Christ. A, a, a church, listen, a church devoted to worship should be a church that's driven to witness. Right? If you, if you see, show me a church that is really devoted to biblical worship, and that will be a, a church that's devoted to witness. Notice, notice something about our text. Notice they, 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 didn't, they didn't put together a focus group. <laughs> they didn't do a survey. Like nothing, nothing, wrong, nothing wrong with a survey. But they, they didn't take a, a church vote while they worshipped the Spirit initiated the call and the mission. Amen? And so the, the passage, it doesn't, it doesn't tell us how, probably wasn't an audible voice. It may have just been a gentle prompting in one of the leaders that's already been mentioned. But as the Spirit spoke through one or more of these men, the church listened and they swung into action. They obeyed, but it was the Spirit that, that moved these leaders and moved this church to say, hey, separate and set apart Barnabas and Saul for this missionary journey to the Gentiles. But know, know this, that, that missionary journey, that it, 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 it was launched 
from worship. It sprung forth from worship and seeking God. Third thing this morning, as we look at verse 3, God's intention is for you, Christian, to discover your kingdom purpose. God's intention is for you to discover your kingdom purpose. I want you to look at your neighbor and say kingdom purpose. That was solid. Look at your other neighbor and say kingdom purpose. Look at verse 3. It says this, and I'm going to go back to two. Set apart, as the Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Henry, Henry Blackaby said, said this. He said, you can't, go, you can't stay where you are and go with God. You can't stay where you are and, and go with God. See, that, that day, the church at Antioch, they, they laid hands on these brothers and they, they commissioned them and they blessed them for a specific mission. Understand, yes, Barnabas and Saul were uniquely gifted for the mission, but I believe the whole church came together and laid hands on them, signifying uh, not only, not only the, their blessing of the mission, but also their identification with the mission. And again, I love this church family. When it comes to the mission, God doesn't want to leave us in the dark. Like God's not playing like this cosmic game of hide and seek. He, he doesn't want to leave you in the dark, Christian. It was the Holy Spirit who initiated all of this. And, and it was, I believe, in light of Ephesians 2.10, it was a work, it was a journey that God had already planned long before. He already had this, this mapped out. But understand this, in the same way, I, I believe every Christian, listen, every Christian, every follower of Jesus has a kingdom purpose in this life. Amen? Every follower of Jesus has a kingdom purpose in this life. I, I love watching our our RCB, our Restoration Church Brian families, walk in their kingdom purpose. We've got, we've got couples, we've got families that mobilize the church around foster ministry. We, we've got folks who, who give generously toward needs in the church and outside the church. We've got, we've got folks who are passionate about biblical justice and reconciliation. And they are, they are legit peacemakers and bridge builders. I, I, I see our, our adults uh, mentoring and discipling our students and pouring into them and teaching God's Word and living out their faith even in the workplace. Man, I, I see our students. Our students, they, they give. They, they serve. They lead MCGs. They lead small groups. Man, they're servants not only in the local church. Man, they're servants and leaders in their Christian fraternities and sororities. They're chaplains. They're leaders in organizations. Listen, like this is not the spot for the consumer Christian. Amen? I'm just going to say it. Like This is not the spot. I don't care how like the cool lights dangling down and hardwood floor, like who cares? This is not the spot for the consumer Christian. Just not. I mean, if you stick around long enough, you're you're gonna 
listen, we're, we're going to keep challenging you by asking, Christian, what's your kingdom purpose? What's your kingdom purpose? And, and, and listen, um, for some of you, like, that's the missing piece. Because you're, you're, you're connected to, maybe you have a connection to God. You're, you're in the Word. Maybe you're, you're seeking Him through prayer. Like you're, you're worshiping. And maybe, maybe you're connected to community, Christian community. And you've got some accountability in place. And you, you've got a small group that you're a part of. But, but even in that, is it still all about you? Is it still all about you? Christian, listen, you may not be a prophet or a teacher, but the Spirit of God has given you gifts. Amen? I don't, every single follower of Jesus in this place, the Spirit of God has given you gifts. You, you've been saved to be set apart, and you can't be content with missionless Christianity. You can't be content with missionless Christianity. You, you've got to press in to your kingdom calling. You've got to press in to your, your kingdom, the, the mission that God has for you. But, but let me press in and say this. <laughs> you also need to maintain some perspective. And here's what I mean by this. I, I think sometimes we operate like Paul walked out of his Phariseeism and like right into the Missionary Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> like, this was nine years after his conversion. This was nine years after his Damascus Road experience. Derek Thomas says this, it is not yet the Paul that we know and love from many of his letters. He's still a novice and not yet given the honor that will later be given him by his fellow apostles. Thomas says this, for, for now, it is Barnabas and Saul, and we got to wait until verse 9 until we see the name change from Saul to Paul, and we don't see until verse 43 where the order is reversed and it's no longer Barnabas and Saul, but Paul and Barnabas. So here's what that means. If, it means this. If you're, if you're 20 or, or 19 or however old you are, you don't have to have your entire kingdom purpose figured out like this afternoon. Okay? Stop stressing. <laughs> Take the next step of obedience and then take the next one and you and keep worshiping and keep serving keep seeking the lord and asking how has god gifted me to reach others for jesus and to build up his local church that's it that's it because worship springs forth in the mission and so be faithful Right, right where you are, right where you are, and God will open up the mission and he will walk you and guide you like a loving heavenly father into your kingdom purpose. Close, close with this this morning. Charlie C.T. Studd was, uh, was born in England in 1860. C.T. Studd, at 15 years old, his father Edward came to faith in Jesus at a, at a 
D.L. Moody revival service. And his dad, Edward, was never the same. So within a year, C.T. Studd, Charlie, and all of his brothers, they, as teenagers, they all came to faith in Jesus. And, and, and by his mid-20s, C.T. felt a call to leave behind the privilege of Engl England and to take the gospel message to China. But interesting thing happened. At 25 years old, he received an inheritance from his father to the tune of $145,000 in 1885. And he gave it all away. Gave it all away. $25,000 to D.L. Moody. Fun fact, Moody used that money to start and to build Moody Bible Institute. Gave $25,000 away to George Mueller toward his mission work, toward his work with, with orphans. He gave $25,000 to George Holland, who was working with the poor in London. $25,000 to the Salvation Army's efforts in India among the poor. And he gave away thousands of dollars to others. Three years later, as he married his, his wife Priscilla, together they came together and gave away the last $17,000 to their name to the work of the gospel. Later, he spent several years in India. In the last two decades of C.T. Studd's life was spent pouring his life out for the sake of the gospel in Africa. And in July of 1931, he passed on a Thursday, three days after conducting a five-hour meeting in Uganda it was said that 2,000 Africans, including four chiefs, attended his funeral. And it was C.T. Studd who said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Church, I, I don't know about you, like I want to go out like C.T. Studd. <laughs> like I, I'm like jacked up right now. <laughs> I, I want to go out on mission. Christian, like it's what you were made for. Jesus didn't die just to redeem you. Like the gospel doesn't stop with you. Like God wasn't like, okay, man, I, I saved Jonathan so we can, we can just shut it down here. No, He is reconciling and restoring all things to Himself. And He wants you to be set apart for mission. And the question is, if the Holy Spirit, listen, Christian, if the Holy Spirit called you right now, just like he did Barnabas and Saul, are you ready? Are you ready? Don't forget. Christian, you, you were made, made for mission. Y'all pray with me this morning.